The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Start in chapter 6, verse 10 this evening. If I were to, and Jeremiah will hit on this in the chapters ahead, even chapter 8, I believe it is. If I were to summarize what I would say the people of God's primary fundamental issue was that led to all of their sin, that led to all of their uh, injustices, that led to the prophets and the priests and the judges being as corrupted as they were. Ultimately, it is that they rejected the Word of God. They forsook God. They forgot God. They, they did not follow the Word, the law, the revelation of God that He had given to them. And that's one of the accusations brought forth within these chapters we're, we're overviewing this evening. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 6, the Lord says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? He says, indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them, and they have no delight in it. They did not hear the word of God. It was rejected. God says their ear was uncircumcised. And so a picture even of the fleshly desires of of sin and the, the world being uh, a flesh over their ears that blocked their ears from hearing God's Word, from hearing the, the Word that God was speaking to them. They had the law. They had the prophets even before Jeremiah that had spoken to the people. They had the writings of Moses. And yet, they said of the Word of God, it's become a reproach. It's become something that they're offended by, that, that they look to with shame over what it is, that they, almost as we would think, an illustration I thought of would be like as an American within American history, um, American slavery is a reproach to our country. Uh, 
that in spite of uh, the God-centered foundation of it, uh, in spite of recognizing uh, the equality of all, uh, the Constitution even itself, uh, we had that endure within our history for such a long time frame. It's a reproach. It's something we're not proud of. Uh, they looked to the Word of God as such a thing. Then the Word of God itself became something that they said, no, we don't want to talk about that. No, don't, don't, don't you start quoting the Bible. It, it was a reproach to them. It was a shame to them. It says they had no delight in it. They did not look to it as a light unto their feet, a lamp unto their feet, a light unto their path. They did not look to it as truth. They did not look to it as a, a living um, word for their daily living. They, they did not delight in the Word of God. They rejected it. Because of that, they lived very, very wickedly, even as the people of God to whom the law was given, to whom the prophets came. Look to chapter 5, and we'll read just a few verses. They're, they're spre- uh, speckled throughout the passages uh, surrounding this verse we're going to look to that describe the sins of the people of God. Look to verses 26 through 31 of chapter 5. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. And the right of the needy they do not to fund. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Look at verses 30 and 31. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And then notice this. And my people love to have it so. They they love the corruption and the injustices that were being committed because it profited them. Because the rich could pay the prophet to give them a prophecy of blessing. They could control what the preacher had to preach based upon their offerings. People loved it. They loved it. They could control what was being said to them, even from the pulpit, so to speak. And the judges we've read even in the weeks before were so corrupt that they judged based upon bribes as well. They lived wickedly, just as those that did not know God at all. And it was from the weak to the strong, the rich and the poor, the ruler and the judge, the priest and the prophet. Look to chapter 6, verse 13. Because from the least of them even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. They all wanted the things that they did not have. None were content in the Lord. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, meaning superficially, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They soothed the itching ears of the people. Peace, peace. And they did a superficial healing and made it sound as if it was all okay, even though it was not. 
made it sound like it was all good, even though the people were living in great immorality and great wickedness. It does not sound much different from our day and age, does it? Verse 15, when they, uh, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. What a description of that day and age. And what a description of our day and age. Not ashamed of wicked, grotesque immorality. Don't know how to blush anymore. The things that are commonplace within music, that are commonplace within movies and television shows, that that you go back to the 1950s for goodness sake, uh, it was against the law. It did more than make people blush. It made them angry that such a thing would be done and aired on, 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 on television or on the radio waves for people to see, for people to hear. And now we don't blush at anything. Now they laugh at it. Now they're entertained by it. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall at the time I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. God is giving a word of warning that judgment is coming. He will cast His people down. You you can read the passages um, that we skipped over and what you'll find is God has promised a nation from the north will come in and He will not defend His people from them. They will come in and they will annihilate the land uh, from the weakest to the strongest. Uh, Go back just a few verses even. Go back to the beginning of chapter 5, and you see it says, verse 9, all the way back to chapter 4 even. Chapter 4 and verse 9, And it shall come to pass in that day, the day of God's judgment, says the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, and the heart of the princes, the priests shall be astonished, and the prophets shall wonder. All of those, even in the highest ranks of power, God says, I will bring a day of judgment upon you through the Babylonians coming in as they do to wipe out the people of God in Jerusalem and Judea. He says that the kings and the princes and the priests and the prophets who are so stubbornly fixed in their sin, who are so deafened to the word that God is bringing to them through His prophets, they will turn their attention to the Lord because God will bring them down. God will bring this great judgment. In the midst of all of these, it's really a repetition of these themes of the judgment that is coming, an accusation of the sins of the people that they've committed, little pictures of a promise of a future redemption that we've looked to, that in the end God will draw a remnant to Himself. There's a promise that this will not be the end, even though it will be a severe judgment of God. It will be a judgment that will work a a greater good. All of that is intertwined. And all of this, all of these themes being repeated in different ways are a compilation of Jeremiah's sermons, so to speak. Just as if you were to go back over the past five years of my being here and the sermons that I've delivered and, and started compiling portions of these sermons, in a way that's what we have here in the book of Jeremiah. Through his lifetime, his, his, his sermons that he delivered, the prophecies from God that God delivered through him are, are compiled. And in the midst of this, I want us to focus on this one verse in verse 16, where we find 
a gracious, another gracious call of God. We looked at a gracious call of God last week to repentance. Another gracious call of God giving to His people the wisdom of how to return to Him in the midst of the mess that they were in. So, so how do they go from the place that they are where there is such corruption, there is such injustice being committed, there is such a hard-heartedness towards the Lord, there is such a, a rejection of the law of God. How do they go from that place of the muck and the mire of sin to get back to the Lord? This is a call, again, to return, a call to repent. It was really given to the people of Israel as a greater condemnation to them because they they never repented. They did not take heed to what God delivered to them through the prophet Jeremiah. But it's been recorded in God's Word and preserved for us tonight uh, that we too may hear the wisdom of God regarding what it means to turn to Him, how to do it, and that we, unlike Israel, that we might actually take heed to it that we might actually be admonished by it, that we even seeing their example of hard-heartedness might uh, come to God with a soft heart, even turning from our sin this evening. God uses a picture, an illustration, of a man, most likely a pilgrim of sorts, traveling a road, and it's sort of paints the picture that this man doesn't really know where he's at or where he's going. He's traveling down a road, fixated on this road that he is journeying upon, and he comes to a crossroads. Comes to a crossroads. And it's a call of God for Israel, even in this crossroads, this this moment that God is breaking in once again through His prophet Jeremiah to disrupt their life, to call them to repentance, to warn them of the judgment that is to coming. It's a, it's a call to, to listen, a call to take heed to this call. A call to return, a call to repent. Verse 16, chapter 6. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your soul. Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it, then you will find rest for your souls. I just want to walk through that verse with you tonight. I just want to look at the main calls of this verse, the main verbs of this verse, and, and hopefully help you to understand the wisdom of God that He's given here, the, the wisdom of how we go from the muck and mire of a sinful life, of a sinful culture, of a sinful soul, and turn to Him. Notice firstly, it says, Stand and see. Stand in the ways and see. Stop and look. This isn't a, 
a picture of a person that is seating, that is seated down, that is seated, standing up when it says stand in the way. It's really a picture of a person that's moving, a person that's walking in a road of rebellion and a road of sin, and they're fixated on it. They're, they're not looking any other direction. They're, they're, they're tunnel vision. They're deceived in their sin. They're walking this pathway of waywardness, of rebellion, a trajectory that people of God have been on for generation after generation. And they're, they're traveling down this roadway of destruction, of sin, of rebellion against God. And God says, stand in the ways. There's a crossroads right here. Stop for just a moment. And pause what you're doing and stand there. And then he says, and see. Stand in the ways. Don't just keep going down the wayward way you've been going, but stop for a moment and then look. See. Think for just a moment about the road you're on. Think for just a moment about the road you should be on. Stop and and look for just a moment and examine and assess where the way that you're going is leading and and why so many are going down it and what happens to them as they blindly go down it. What is the end of the pathway that you are on? Do you realize every time we we look at the Scriptures, we ought to stop and we ought to look. Every time we gather here in this church house and we we open the Word of God. It ought to be a moment in our walking, in the way, the, the way of our life even, in our, our busyness of our schedules, and our, our routines of our schedules, the habits that we keep, the, the appointments we've got to go to that, with the week that lies ahead, and the busyness of all that we're doing in this walkway that we're walking, this road we're traveling. Every time we open this Scripture, it ought to be a moment where we, we stand. We stop the busyness. For just a moment, and we look, we examine, we, we assess, we spend a little bit of time in introspection and in self-examination in light of the light of the Word of God that we are looking to. The Bible often calls us to self-examination. I'll give you just a couple passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. It doesn't say examine the person beside you. We're good at that. It doesn't say determine if that person beside you is in the faith. We're good at that. No, it says examine your own life. Examine your own self. Test your own self. Be sure that you truly are walking the right way. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, it's regarding the taking, partaking of communion of the Lord's Supper, but it says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. To examine our heart, our way, our life before the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. To search out and examine and turn back to the Lord. One of my favorites, Psalm 139, at the end of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, examine me. This first call from God is a call to stop the, the road that you're walking, to stand for just a moment in the crossroads instead of blindly 
is stubbornly going down the same path you've been going. And just stand there for a moment. Open your eyes and, and lift them up for a moment. And consider the road you're on. Consider the road everybody else is on. Consider the end of it and where it's leading you and, and what it has entailed. Secondly, first stand and see. Secondly, ask. And ask for the old paths where the good way is. Ask for the old paths because there's a lot of new paths. There's a lot of new ways that people have carved out. These new ways are well-traveled because there's a novelty, a newness to them. They're well-traveled by everyone who is passing you by, but they are not good. There's only one good way, and it's the, the old way is what's said here. Ask for the old paths where the good way is. It, it's implying these new ways that are all among you are, are not the old way, and, and the old way is the good way. Therefore, all of these new ways aren't the old way. They're not the good way. No matter how many people are going down them, no matter how new they are, the reality is these new ways aren't really all that new. They're as old as the serpent is in the Garden of Eden when he says to Eve, as the Lord really said, the Lord really didn't say that. There's a new way. And Eve and Adam go down a new way, and look what comes of it. <laughs> and Satan, ever since, has been about the business of creating new ways. These ways are bad. These ways lead to destruction. These ways lead to death. I don't know if you saw in the news, there was an article on, on the or news website is where I saw it, of a, a hiker in Vancouver who set out to hike a new hike that he'd never hiked before, and he was using Google Maps to do it. And he did not realize that this trail that Google Maps has on it, up some mountain to a peak, and it was a new way to go that he'd never gone before, would lead him on a journey that was no trail at all. And it was a pathway that, it wasn't even a pathway, it was going through the woods on a steep, steep terrain, a number of cliffs. He was grateful to have a helicopter able to fly in and find him and rescue him. And two years ago, another hiker actually took the same trip, they believe, and fell off a cliff and died there. Uh, Google Maps has removed that new way from their maps. Not sure exactly why it was there or how he was mistaken to go down it, but it was there and he did. We love new things. There's a novelty to them. But when it comes to, to doctrine, I heard it long ago, new doctrine is false doctrine. A new way is not a good way. There's one good way. It's the old way. And so we're, we're to ask, what are the old paths? Where are the old paths? Who knows these old paths? We, we need the old paths because they're the good way. They're the, the good way. We need to ask someone who knows. For Israel, Israel should have thought of their forefathers. They should have thought of David and Solomon. They should have thought of Joshua. And they should have thought of Moses. 
They should have thought of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The old way. The old pathways that led to goodness, that led to the divine interventions of God that He had worked, the miracles of time past, the blessing of the freedom of, of, of being brought out of Egypt, the blessings of being brought into the promised land. These paths were the good ways. They were the ways of God. They were the ways of His Word. They were the ways of His blessing. Where is the old path for us? Where is this, what is this even old path where the good way is? Wouldn't it be good to ask those of old? Wouldn't it be good to ask those who have gone before us? Ask W.A. Criswell and Adrian Rogers and ask Billy Graham, what is this old way? What is the good way? To ask Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott and A.W. Tozer, go back a little further and call up John Newton, ask Charles Spurgeon, ask Jonathan Edwards, ask Owens or Edwards or Spurgeon or Luther or Calvin or Tyndale or Huss or Wycliffe or you go back even further, Augustine and Ignatius or Polycarp or you go back and what do we ask Paul? What is this old way? What is this good way that we're to walk? What if we ask Peter or John or Matthew or Luke? What if we go back further and we ask Zechariah or Isaiah or even Jeremiah? What is this old way? And for sake of time, we won't read their answers, but you can. You can go and read all of those people's answers by the writings that we have by them, especially Paul and Peter and the other inspired writers of the New Testament and those of the Old Testament. Paul would tell us those things that were written beforehand were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Peter would say those that were were wrote beforehand were were writing inspired of God, were men of, of, of God moved by the Spirit to pen that which they wrote. Paul would say in another place they were inspired by God. And all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All of these people would testify the old way is God's way. The old way is God's Word. And it's God's will revealed by His Word. And we, we live in a day of such novelty, of such newness. There's new all over the place. There's new cars. There's Every year you get a new car line that comes out with all the makes and all the models. There's new houses that go up everywhere. There's new iPhones and new, believe it or not, they still make Android phones. I forgot one. There's Android phones that are new. There's new technology. There's AI that's coming out and this, this new revolutionary technology We are surrounded by such newness in life with materialism and the advancements of technology. And it's not only in materialism and within technology, but within philosophy and all the next greatest fads that will come. New ways, new roads, new ideas about God and about religion. 
are everywhere. You realize in the midst of all of that new, there's only one old way, and there's only one good way. All of those ways lead to destruction. All of those ways are not the good way. Only one way is the right way. There's only one way that leads to life. There's only one way that leads to rest for your souls. And it's the way of faith and obedience to God's Word. The way of faith, belief in God's Word, and obedience, a faith that is a true faith that leads to uh, an obedience to the commands of the Lord. I don't want a new faith. You go to seminary and you can read all about new theology, about new interpretations of the, the Word of God to explain this away and explain that away and, and liberal theology even that just explains away the majority of the Scriptures as if it was written by you know, men that were just you know, believed in mythologies and too dumb in their intellect to understand the natural causes for everything that was transpiring and they, they made it all, they mythologized, mythologized, there's the word, mythologized the life of Jesus and all the miracles of the Old Testament and we can come up with ways to explain it all, a new way. But I don't want the new way. I want the old way. I want the way that all of those men whose names I just read believed it to be so and the, the impact of the life that they lived for the glory of Christ to believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. He called to faith and obedience in it. He says, stand in the way and see. Stop for a moment and look and consider the, the way you're walking and then ask not for the new way, not for the latest and the greatest, but ask where the old pathway is, the pathway that is good, the pathway that has been proven over and over and over and over again leads to life, leads to God's glory, leads to eternal glory. And then he says, don't just stand there and ask about it. But thirdly, walk. Walk in it. That returning to God isn't just an intellectual acknowledgement of truth and then continuing down the same road of error. It's not just intellectually coming to an understanding that there is a God and that this is His Word and that His Word is truth and should be followed, to intellectually consent to that and then continue in your waywardness, continue in your sin, is to deny what you're saying is true. The devils believe that God is God. The devils believe that Jesus is Lord. But they're not saved. They fear and tremble at the glory of Christ. And they obey His every command. True faith entails repentance, which leads to a change in action. Repentance meaning a change of heart. We talked about that last week. It's a, a change of heart where you're, you're literally, it's picturing going one way and, and making a 180 degree turn. And, and that is uh, an inward soul um, move of the volition, of the will, that, that you turn. 
Now, if that truly happens, if repentance is truly had, the, the actions will follow. As James says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Not that he's saved by his works, but no, the works follow a true conversion, a true returning, a true repentance. I imagine many in Jeremy, Jeremiah's day knew the old paths. They even knew the old paths were good. They just didn't want to walk in it, is what we read. But they said, we will not walk in it, this verse concludes, verse 16. But the Word of God that would have guided them in the good way, would have been a divine blessing, would have brought rest for their souls. Instead, what this Word of God did to them is it became a devouring fire that consumed them. Go back to chapter 5 and verse 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. So the word of God that would be as a fire that would bring warmth and rest, that would bring light to guide and direct and blessing of God, the word of God to those who return, to those who repent, would be to those who did not as a consuming fire, and they would be as wood, and it would devour them, it would consume them. Walking in the ways of God. What does walking in this way look like? James 1 verses 22 through 25. You can write that down. I'll read it for you. James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one shall be blessed in what he does. What does it mean to walk in it? It means to behold your face in the mirror of God's word. And not walk away ignoring it. Not walk away unchanged by it. But let the Word of God in the faith that you give to it and the obedience that you set out to pursue and follow it be the Word of God to you. To lead you, to guide you, to direct you, to instruct you. Notice fourthly, after you stop and see, after you ask for the old path and you find it and you walk in it, fourthly, find. It says, then you will find your rest for your souls. Then you will find rest for your souls. Notice this isn't one that you, you act out to accomplish. <laughs> you, you walk in the way, in the old way, in the good way. And this is the result of walking in the way. When you follow God, when you've believed upon His Word and are pursuing Him in obedience to His Word, it says you will find, God will give it, you will find rest for your souls. Well, what a reward to find in this life a true Real, authentic, genuine rest for your soul. 
you look around in the world today, and you look at people on all the new roads that travel in all of these ways, and what you find are souls that are filled with all sorts of stuff. Souls that are filled with fear and anxiety. Souls that are filled with sorrow and depression. Souls that are filled with lies and deceit. Souls that are filled with brokenness and with hurts. But all the while, God is saying, I have a rest for you. There is a rest that we can enter into. There is a rest of God for our souls. A rest from our works. A rest from our fears and anxieties. A rest from our lies and deceit. A rest from our brokenness and our hurts. Where is this rest found? Right here, it's found not in all the new ways. Not in all the new ideologies. Not in all the new ways to interpret this and interpret that. Not in all the new doctrines that this person's come up with and that person's come up with. It's found in the old path. It's found in the old way where the, the good way is. It's found in a simple faith and obedience to the Word of God. The will of God. They had the revealed Word. God spoke to them through Moses. He spoke to them through Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of the prophets that we have looked to. They had the revealed Word. Realize this morning, this side of the cross, we have more than just the revealed Word. We have the incarnate Word. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll close in just a moment, but track with me as we Wrap this up tonight. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to uh, the fathers by the prophets, spoke to those in ages past by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us, how? By His... Somebody help me out. Son. In... In the time past, to the fathers, by the prophets, the Old Testament has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. We read in John chapter 1 and verse 1, a, a peculiar way that John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You may be confused initially. What is this Word? Who are we talking about? And we get to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And the Word dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. That when Mary held that child in her arms, she held the Word of God incarnate. His revelation. John 14 and verse 6. That incarnate Word would proclaim, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And then Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 through the following verse, verse 29. We find a New Testament quotation of this Old Testament verse given by Jeremiah. 
I'll read for you first what we've looked to this evening. Verse 16 of Jeremiah chapter 6. Stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find. Then you will find when you stop and you ask for this old way and you walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you longing for rest this evening? Are you longing for rest from your works and from your fears and from your anxieties and your hurts and aches of this life? Don't don't seek it in a new way. Find rest in a new road. But you need an old road. You need an old way. Find it in the revealed Word of God that points us to the incarnate Word of God. You, You find it in an old rugged cross on a hill that's called Calvary. With Christ called out. The Savior of the world. He says, come unto me. Come unto me. For all your sins are red as scarlet. I'll wash them white as snow. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Heavenly Father, we that every person in this room would know the rest that only comes from You. Lord, it comes from faith and obedience to Your Word. Lord, as we live on this side of the cross, we have a greater Word than even that which we have in our hands. We have the Word to whom this points us, to whom this was written for and by. We have the incarnate Word, Christ. You are calling us tonight, even in this Old Testament passage in Jeremiah, to not seek new ways, to not keep going down the new way we're walking, but to pause for a moment and reflect upon the brokenness of what we're doing and what we are and, and ask for the old way. Ask of the way that so many have walked before in the midst of a dark and just wicked day and age, even as it is now to turn to You, to turn to Your Word, to turn now even to Your incarnate Word, that this Word points us to the Christ. We see such a great revelation of Your love and Your forgiveness and of Your mercy to any and all who repent, to any and all who simply stop and acknowledge their sin and turn to the old way, turn to Christ and believe upon Him as His Lord and Savior. Lord, thank You. So many in this room have done so. May we turn afresh and anew to Him and walk even the rest of this week uh, in, in light of the cross, in light of Your grace and mercy. Lord, if there be one here tonight who has never turned to You in Christ, I pray they would even now. Uh, they stop what they're doing. Uh, hopefully they've heard. They don't need to ask because they've heard the way that they would walk in it tonight and return and believe upon Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray this for His honor, for His glory. 